the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of being those who have been taught. Been taught your word. We've been enlightened by the Holy Spirit. And even as we continue to look at Paul's relationship and Paul's uh, epistle, his letter to the Corinthians, I pray that we would learn about the importance of repentance, the importance of spiritual maturity and what that looks like, what it means to be a spiritual infant, to be a spiritual baby, and pray that you would help us to learn even this morning how to overcome that and to excel still more in our walk with you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's been said, it's how you say something is as important as what you say. For example, these two different statements. Oh, what a cute baby. Versus, oh, don't be such a baby. Same idea, but very different. And this is in the passage that we're going to look at this morning. Which one of those is Paul saying as he calls the Corinthians spiritual babies? Is it good or is it bad? It may be appropriate that on Mother's Day we are talking about babies, but not so appropriate that we are talking about babies in not so great of a light. And so to give you a clue of the answer to my question I just posed, we're going to talk about babies, spiritual babies, in a negative way. Specifically, those who are spiritually immature, spiritual infants, who should at this point be spiritual adults. But what does it mean to be a spiritual baby? And is it ever okay to be spiritually immature? Is it ever okay to be a spiritual infant? What causes spiritual immaturity? Well, we're going to answer all of these questions and more in our passage this morning, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. If you're joining us newly for our live streams or have not been part of our church for much time, I want to explain to you, for those of you who have been around, you know that uh, perhaps some of you are expecting a special Mother's Day sermon. Uh, It comes to a, a point where there are so many holidays that we believe in expository preaching and we just kind of truck right along, except for, of course, the big Christian holidays, uh, Easter, Resurrection Sunday, and Christmas. Uh, in my mind, as a pastor and someone who is passionate about God's Word and is passionate about the spiritual growth of, of those in our church, mothers or others, I believe the best way to honor the moms is to continue our study of 1 Corinthians chapter 3 or whatever study we may be in. So follow along as I read for you 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, 
but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? This morning, in our outline, I want to give you three indications of spiritual infancy. In other words, whether it's okay to be a spiritual infant or not, whether you are a spiritual infant or not, this passage and our outline will give you three indications of what spiritual infancy, spiritual babyhood, what a big spiritual baby looks like and what you should or shouldn't do about that. Our first indication of spiritual infancy is the picture of spiritual infancy. The picture of spiritual infancy. And this morning we're really going more Uh, sentence by sentence rather than verse by verse or phrase by phrase. And we find this first point in verse 1 and the beginning of verse 2. The picture of spiritual infancy, in other words, the description, Paul gives us insight into what it means to be a spiritual baby. Let me read that for you again, stopping at the point where this point in our outline will stop. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. Verse 2, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Now, Paul begins here by referring to his earlier visit when he preached the gospel to them and established the church. At that time, they were new believers, new Christians. The church in general and the world was new, but for the Corinthians, the church was new. This was the first time many of them had heard the gospel. Most of them, if not all of them, had just recently been saved and become Christians. They are new Christians. They are baby believers. And at that time, at that time, There was nothing wrong with them being spiritual infants. It was normal and proper just a few days or months into their genuine salvation to be spiritual infants. And in addressing this time when this was normal and proper for the Corinthians, we get a description of what it means to be infants in Christ. The first thing I want to point out, however, before we move forward with the entirety of the passage, is that phrase, in Christ. This means that they were believers in this time that he's addressing in verse 1 and the beginning of verse 2. As we move through the passage for this morning, he will start addressing the Corinthians in their present state, the time that he's writing this letter. And of course, if they were in Christ back then, they are in Christ now. And the reason I want to point this out to you is because in our discussion this morning of spiritual infancy, understand that the topic, meaning everything that we're going to say, is about true believers. Because we will talk about, because Paul speaks about, believers behaving like unbelievers. But keep in mind, despite this behavior, they are Christians. 
And that is really the problem. Uh, We don't have a problem with non-Christians acting like non-Christians. Without the Holy Spirit, they cannot act like Christians. We should expect them to do what they do. But the problem we're going to see is when Christians act like non-Christians. But back to verse 1. What do we know about spiritual infancy? First, as in normal human physical development, there is a difference between an adult and a baby. And in the same way, there is a difference between a spiritual adult, spiritual men, as he says here, and spiritual babies. And Paul says that because of their previous immature state, he could not speak to them as spiritual men. Rather, he spoke to them as men of flesh, we see in verse 1. That phrase, men of flesh, literally means the fleshy ones, which in this context refers to man's sinfulness and fallenness. You understand this, even as a mature Christian, you still sin. How much more when you you were a new Christian and were sinning, even though you had the Holy Spirit at that time, but didn't know maybe even what God wanted you to do. You didn't know the entire spectrum of what was sin and what wasn't. And so you were still sinning. And so we see that believers who are still spiritual infants are those who are believers, so they have a grasp of the basic truths of the gospel. Of course, they have to, otherwise they wouldn't be saved. So they have a grasp of the basic truths of the gospel, but they are still spiritually young. They are spiritually immature. They are ignorant regarding many, if not most, of the other issues in Scripture. And the problem is not that they were unintelligent. Okay, Physically, these people, for the most part, were adults. They... They could reason and have logic and and read and understand and be taught and learn. So the problem is not that they were unintelligent. That's not what made them spiritual babies. It's that they were, as Paul says here, they were fleshly. Again, not because they did not have the Holy Spirit, but because they were still, for the most part, living like those who did not have the Holy Spirit. And this is key to understanding what distinguishes a spiritual baby and a spiritual adult. It's not depth of knowledge necessarily. It is lifestyle. Of course, that's connected to depth of knowledge of the scriptures. Now, there's nothing wrong with being in the flesh. However, there is a problem with being fleshly. In other words, there is a problem when you live according to the flesh. Okay? You've probably heard the the phrase, be in the world, Christian, but not of the world. That means you live in this world. That's okay. You function in this world. You should pay your bills. You should be responsible. You You should have a job and raise a family and all of those types of things. Okay, 
but don't be of the world. Don't live like the world. Don't be driven by the world. Don't be dictated by the world. These are things that uh, we've talked about uh, multiple times um, in this this very series on the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of man. And it's just the same idea here, right? We live in the flesh. There's nothing wrong with that. There's There's nothing you are supposed to do to remove yourself from your physical fleshly body, okay? The problem, again, is living according to the flesh, and that's what this word is talking about when it says men of flesh or fleshly. It's talking about sin and the lack of obedience, okay? Turn with me to Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 13. If you're not familiar with your Bibles, if you just turn towards the front a few pages, you're going to be in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. And we see the same idea here regarding the flesh. Romans 8, 12 through 13. Follow along as I read. So then, brethren... We are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. But if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Again, all of this is talking about the spiritual aspect of the flesh. Well, back to 1 Corinthians. What does it mean to be men of flesh? We've talked about, we're talking, we're saying that that term refers to sinfulness, sin nature. But to be more specific, to be men of flesh, to be fleshly, means to be motivated by human drives, by human sinful desires. So fleshly doesn't necessarily mean sensuality or sexual sin as it does today. I just bring that up because usually in our uh, in, in 2020 in America, when we say fleshly, we're talking about s- sensuality. Now, in this context of the scripture and in the Greek use of that word, it doesn't just mean that. Of course, it could include that category of sin, but it's not limited to that. Being fleshly can ha- refer to sins that have nothing to do with uh, uh, sex or sensuality, anger, pride greed, uh, things like that. Okay? So, what he's talking about uh, to uh, the Corinthians. Is that, excuse me for that. Um, We're getting reports that there's a problem with the stream, but on our end it's fine. And it is streaming. So hopefully you guys are getting this. Anyways, Back to the idea of fleshly. Since they're uh, giving in to their sins more than to the Spirit, Paul is saying we could not speak to them as to those who are spiritual adults. They are infants in Christ. They are spiritually immature. The picture of infants was actually 
common imagery in ancient times in Greek times. Okay? Most often it was related to something similar to this. So when I say it was a, a common theme, uh, we're talking about uh, not just within scripture and spiritual things, but in any uh, sort of area in life. It was most often related to the theme of progressing and understanding of a particular topic. In other words, moving from a basic or elementary understanding of truth to a more mature and deeper knowledge of that truth, whatever it might be, philosophy, medicine, things like that. Okay, And, and you've used that term or heard people use that term in relation to that, right? I'm just, you know, I'm new at this or I'm just a baby in engineering or whatever it is, referring to a a limited depth of understanding and practice. Now, more to our point, when it comes to spiritual things, when someone is still an infant, as Paul continues in verse 2, you give them milk, not solid food, right? It's the same thing in any category. You don't go to your your first class as a pre-med major and they say, all right, we're going to take you to the OR at the local hospital and give you a scalpel and dive right in. No, you give them milk. You give them the basics. And continuing the comparison to physical development, of course, we know that a newborn baby only drinks milk in the early stages of life. There is an inability to feed them solid food, even pureed food. It's just milk. So the question is, what is spiritual milk? What is it that Paul is referring to when he said, I could not speak to you as spiritual men, as spiritual adults? And keep in mind, it's not that he couldn't teach them other things. It's that it would be pointless. Just like if I threw a, threw some, uh, some, some crunchy snacks or, or a steak in front of a, a newborn baby. It's not that I can't prepare that and put it in front of that baby. It just, it would be pointless because he can't eat it. So again, what is spiritual milk? Spiritual milk is the good news of salvation. It is the gospel. It is the basic truths of the Christian faith, right? Yes, it is super important, the gospel, but it is basic. Sin, Jesus, cross, resurrection, that is milk. Good stuff, powerful stuff, foundational stuff, but basic. Milk as opposed to solid food. Well then, what's solid food? Solid food is an understanding of the entirety of your life in light of the gospel. Knowing and living out how the gospel applies to all of life and not just the forgiveness of sins. Okay? So it's, and we'll, I'll elaborate on this more in our next point, but it's, seeing everything through the lens of the gospel. To be clear, Paul is not presenting a two-stage system of Christianity or a tiered religion, okay? You often see that in, in Christian cults, in other religions, 
where there's a gap or a distance uh, between even certain members of that religion and the lower religions, right? Even between a, 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 re- a regular parishioner and a priest, there's, there's something different about them. But the scriptures are very clear, right? As a pastor, you and I are the same. We have different roles. Yes, I have an authority in the church, but we are the same. You can confront me. You can talk to me. You have the same Holy Spirit, the same scriptures, the same understanding of scripture that I have. There is not a, a tiered where you're, you're a baby and there's some secret ritual you have to go through or secret school or rites or give a certain amount of money and all of a sudden you're in this higher level. That's not what Paul is saying. Because we know that Paul and Jesus Christ, for that matter, taught all doctrines to all men. See, in his preaching, when you read the Gospels, Jesus didn't just call people to repentance. He taught solid food issues like finances, loving your enemy, even eschatology. Now, to be clear, and again, I'll elaborate later, but these things like having good finances or loving your enemy or or the end times, it's not just understanding those that makes you spiritually mature, but living those out to the glory of God and living those out in light of the gospel and of your faith. But here's the point. Believers are not baby Christians because they aren't allowed to be taught certain doctrines, but because of their own sin. And Paul says as much with the phrase, for you were not yet able to receive it. That's why Paul didn't give them solid food, because they couldn't accept it. They, 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 it was beyond their spiritual repentance beyond their holiness at that time to receive it. In other words, Paul would have gladly taught them more, but they were still fleshly and young in their faith. So he had to stick to theological milk toast. It would have been pointless to teach them anything else like it would have been, it would be rather to teach calculus to my toddler. I can teach him calculus, but it would be pointless, and he is not yet able to receive it. Again, there is nothing wrong with being a spiritual baby as long as you are recently saved. You are a new believer. But if you've been saved and taught for some time, in other words, taught either through good teachers, but even through reading the Bible and pursuing an understanding of the scriptures. If you're in that place, but you're still only able to digest milk, then there's a problem. When people, if I could give you this example, when when, when people address uh, maybe that you're, you're, you're being too uh, sinful regarding your finances and you just default to, well, you know, Jesus died for my sins and I know he loves me and, and, and wants the best for me, then that's a, a, a very spiritually baby way of looking at finances. 
versus yes, I need to repent. I need to need to to handle my finances in a way that glorifies God. Okay, and that problem of being a Christian for longer than a few months, and that's where the analogy falls apart, right? Because a baby is a baby for years, uh, but a. a, a a Christian can move from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity, at least to the degree of being able to um, understand and accept deeper doctrines. That should happen within a few months, at least uh, just a year or two at the very most. And that's exactly the problem with the Corinthians. They have been saved for some time, but they are still only able to receive milk, and that's why our second indication of spiritual infancy is the problem of spiritual infancy. The problem of spiritual infancy. I'll pick up where I left off in verse 2 and the beginning, go through the beginning of verse 3. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. Here's the problem. Back then, okay, still, problem. So Paul is saying that the Corinthians, even now, at the time that they're receiving this letter, are still unable to be fed solid food and they can still only handle milk. Again, nothing wrong with being an infant in Christ unless it is unnecessarily prolonged. And every way that Paul just described the Corinthians, when he was there the first time, is unfortunately still true today, years later. See, when Paul first came, he was with them for 18 months. So for 18 months, the Apostle Paul is teaching them. And so now we're getting insight into the fact that when he says that they were spiritual infants who could only receive milk, we're starting to see even then it was a problem because they had been saved and being taught by the apostle himself for 18 months. But what's more, when Paul left, Apollos, who was a very qualified pastor, took over. And now it's been five years since that time and the Corinthians are still immature in their faith. That is a big problem. The fact that they are still babies indicates an inappropriate level of immaturity that should have been long gone by now, probably long gone before Paul left. Their development, for some reason, has been stunted, arrested, and hindered. Think about it. When you see a newborn baby sucking his thumb and sleeping in a crib, it is a beautiful, joyful sight. But if you were to revisit that home five years later and see that same five-and-a-half-year-old child sucking his thumb and the parents making him sleep in a crib, that would be a tragedy and probably a crime. In other words, a baby who acts like a baby is a joy. An adult who acts like a baby, even a young child who acts like a baby, is a catastrophe. 
Unlike human physical development, as I mentioned earlier, five years is more than enough time for a baby Christian to become one who is mature in the faith, especially having been taught the way the Corinthians have been taught. Would you look at Hebrews chapter 5 with me? Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. And I want you you to see this in your own Bibles, because it addresses this same issue. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. Let me read that for you. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. That's the scriptures. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. And there we get an insight into what it means to have solid food and be spiritually mature enough for that. Now back to the Corinthians. Since we know that they were taught well, That's not the problem for their immaturity. Now, it is for many in our day and age because they go to churches that the pastor is basically, in my opinion, sinning against them by only giving them milk. He's not feeding them solid food even if they are ready. The problem for the Corinthians and the problem for most immature Christians today as Paul says, is that they were fleshly. Now I want to pay attention here, want you to pay attention here, because I'm going to give you some nuances of the grammar. We saw in verse 1 that term of the flesh. And here again we see the term fleshly, uh, which is the same word in verses 3 and 2, but a different word in verse 1. Okay? Let me say that because that might have been confusing. Of the flesh is one word. And the two uses of fleshly in verses 2 and 3 are the same word. So we have two different Greek words here. And we see in the context referring to two different stages of spiritual maturity. These two words are similar in meaning and have the same Greek root, but they are different words. Now both words the one in verse 1, and the one in verses 3 and 2, both mean to be driven by sinful desires, the flesh, to be controlled by the flesh, where the entire orientation of one's life is self. It's the me, myself, and I attitude. That's what is really the root of much of sin. They are pursuing a self-sufficiency independent of God, independent of his strength, independent of doing things his way and for him. Now in verse 1, as we saw, that word was speaking of the new believer. The new believer has a basic understanding of the gospel and salvation, but the depth of their relationship with God is new and shallow. As such, There is less awareness and evidence of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. 
In other words, they are not living day by day with a full awareness of being guided by, by wanting to, to honor the Spirit, live by the Spirit, rather grieve the Spirit. And when you observe their life, there is less indication of the, the actions that would indicate a life lived by the Holy Spirit. They are motivated by natural human drives, and like a real baby, they can't really help it. This is all new to them. However, then you get to verse 3. This word also speaks of being controlled by the flesh, giving in to natural human desires, which are geared towards serving oneself. But this word speaks more of voluntarily following this lifestyle and refusing to get rid of it. It refers to one's values and attitudes, which are manifested in self-centeredness and self-indulgence and self-sufficiency. You see the pattern here? The theme? It's all self. Me, me, me. Let me put it another way. In verse 1, it's, the word is like saying, listen, simply because of who you are, you have bad in you, but don't worry. You will get rid of it soon enough as you mature. But verse 3 is saying, you are now choosing to follow a bad norm and you refuse to get rid of it. You could say that verse 1 is speaking of the unspiritual man in a descriptive sense, whereas verse 3 is speaking of the unspiritual man in an evaluative sense. It is evaluating their behavior. And this illustration that Paul chooses is very appropriate because a baby or a young child is self-centered because they can't help it. They are naive. He doesn't know any better. They have yet to learn to respect the interests of others. But the adult who is self-centered behaves this way not because he is naive. Through life, he has learned about true love. He has learned about respecting others. He has experienced others making sacrifices for him. He's old enough to understand what his parents have done in sacrificing for them. So the only reason he will sinfully choose self over others is because of just that, his choice. The baby has no choice. He has to scream when he's hungry. He has to hit when he doesn't get his way. He doesn't know any better. But you see an adult do that, he gets arrested. He gets fired. You look at him and you say, stop acting like a baby. And this is the rebuke that Paul is laying on the Corinthians. He's saying, you have known the Lord long enough that you have no excuse for such behavior anymore. You know better. And again, I, I want to be so clear. This isn't, ah, oh, poor guys, you know, like, like we see today. Oh, he's, he's just going to a weak church. So, of course, well, okay, I get that, and, and, and I feel for those people, and you know where I stand. I wish those churches, those elders and pastors would repent. They would get shut down and stop tickling ears. But at the same time, that's no excuse. 
they go to a weak church, but uh, do they know they can buy a Bible on Amazon? Do they know that they're allowed to read the Bible, buy a commentary, listen to a sermon, talk about Jesus? See, it's not that they aren't well taught. It is because of their sin. I mean, speaking about ear ticklers, remember? We looked at that passage a few weeks ago. People amass for themselves teachers. It's not that the teachers teach false doctrines or, 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 or milk and then they they go manipulate people to join their church. No, the people look for teachers like this because they don't want to self-sacrifice. They don't want to live this way. They don't want to live under the sovereignty and command and lordship of Jesus Christ knowing that they have to give everything to him. They're not mature because they can't know any better. They can't know any better because they're immature and they're immature because they're selfish, because they're sinful. This is the problem of spiritual infancy. But Paul moves on and he gets more specific. He gives us our third indication of spiritual infancy and it answers the question, what exactly is it that shows Paul that the Corinthians are still fleshly? And so our third point is the proof of spiritual infancy. The proof of spiritual infancy. We've seen the picture, we've seen the problem, and now the proof. Look at the second half of verse 3 through the end of our passage. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? For one, when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? We are reminded that this whole section of teaching that we've been in is about the factions or divisions in the church that we saw all the way back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Even in our teaching about the wisdom of God and the gospel and the crucifixion, that all started with those divisions, those factions. And if just by way of reminder, 1 Corinthians 1, verses 11 through 12, he says, or he writes, For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, these are the quarrels, that each of you is saying, I am of Paul, or I have Apollos, and I have Cephas, and I have Christ. Remember, they, there was division and infighting within the church because they were getting cocky because they're saying, oh, I'm of the group of Peter. I am of the group of Paul. I'm better than you. I, oh, well, I'm, I'm of Apollos, our, our, our old pastor. Well, I'm even better than all of you because I am of Christ. And you remember that none of these people whether it's Paul, Apollos, Cephas, who is Peter, or Christ, created these factions. They don't want these teams, these groups, these divisions. But it was the sinful uh, Corinthians who wanted to outdo each other and feed their egos that created this division. There was nothing benign about this. This was emblematic of jealousy and strife and tearing apart the church, dishonoring God, because they just wanted to be better than each other. And I hope it strikes you as ironic that these Christians who are so proud of their giftedness and self-proclaimed spiritual pedigree are now being called big babies. 
But what are the specifics or what is the proof of their spiritual immaturity? Well, there's two. Paul says jealousy. This is envy. Jealousy. You know what this is. For the Christian, this is the sinful desire to have what others have. And it doesn't, and I don't want to limit it to you knowing someone who has that. It's just wanting something that other people have. In other words, wanting something that you don't have. Because if there's anything that exists, someone has it. So it's the sinful desire to have what others have, whether it's a material possession or something immaterial, like status, honor, esteem. Jealousy is an intense form of selfishness that goes so far as to resent those who have what you wish was yours. Maybe you've struggled with this. Jealous because someone in the church has been asked to be a deacon or small group leader, but you have not. Maybe jealous of someone in the church because they have a job or have a house and you don't. Maybe jealous because they have children or a, or a spouse and you do not. Maybe it's outside of the church. Maybe you've caught yourself praying, how come that guy never gets sick? And how come that guy gets to have a house and a six-figure income? And he is an atheist and he hates you, God. That's jealousy. It's an intense form of selfishness. There's so many other sins involved. It's a lack of, of being content in where God has placed you. It's a lack of love for others. When you're jealous, you're definitely not going to be happy for other people when they succeed above you. And so there goes love of God. There goes love of other people, loving other people as you love your own self. So this makes sense. In this context, because selfishness is one of the most obvious characteristics of a baby or a young child. You guys have kids. You've been around kids. You know this. They're selfish. They want what they want. Sure, there are glimpses of where they do something nice. Uh, there's many of you got Mother's Day cards that were scribbled and crayon, but overall they are selfish. And because this is who they are. And this is why Paul says you're, you're a spiritual child. You're a baby. You're jealous. Look at these factions. You're jealous because he's, he, he has more esteem in the church than you do. Well, then I'm going to create this faction. I am the faction of Paul. Look at my connection with Paul. But speaking of Paul, he goes on and he says, there's also strife in the church. And by the way, he's speaking to the whole church, not just certain individuals. Because even if there were people who are not partaking of this jealousy and strife within the church by the fact that they're allowing it to this degree, they are part of it. Strife. This is discord, contention, fighting, quarreling. Strife is the result of jealousy and selfishness. You could say strife is the outward expression of jealousy. So whenever you see someone and you say, man, that guy's jealous, that's strife. What they are doing is strife. The strategies, strife involves the strategies to get what you want. And if you can't get it, the other selfish and sinful things we do toward those we are jealous of is strife. Things like gossip, put-downs, childish competition, resentment. That's all strife. And Paul asks the Corinthians, since there is jealousy and strife among you, 
Are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? Are you not walking like those who are not saved, don't have the Holy Spirit, don't know Christ? And he's phrasing this question in a way that the expected answer is a resounding yes. Yes, you are. Now, fleshly, again, is the same word as earlier in the verse, different word than verse 1. And Paul adds to it by saying this is walking like mere men. And of course, he's talking about the, the man who just lives in his flesh, living according to the flesh like an unbeliever and not like one who walks according to the Holy Spirit. Their jealousy and strife is proof of their fleshliness. It is proof of their spiritual immaturity. This is absolutely, for the believer, this is absolutely intolerable. It is unacceptable, and frankly, it's unthinkable. To have the Holy Spirit, to know and have accepted that Jesus Christ was slaughtered for your sins, to be, as we saw in previous weeks, enlightened to the hidden mysteries, the gospel of God by the Holy Spirit, and yet living for yourself? That is a tragedy. You see, jealousy and strife are both concerned with, uh, with advancing not the kingdom of God, not the joy of others, but self. Advancing the interests of yourself. And that's not Christian. It is of the world. What's more? These people are doing this in the church. It is sin no matter where you do it. It is inappropriate and a sign of spiritual immaturity no matter where you're doing it. But it's worse because they're doing it in the church. And look, the reality is if you are selfish, you're going to be selfish anywhere. And it's going to impact your relationship with those in the church. But for the Corinthians, it's not that they're causing division in the marketplace or they're jealous of people at school or at home, but everything is fine at the church. They are using their church as the very arena in which to advance their personal status, and that is downright wicked. It is evil. And what this shows is not their spirituality, as they suppose, but their carnality. And in verse 4, he flat out brings up the factions again. When I, for when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? Again, phrasing the question in the Greek grammar that the answer is yes, absolutely you are. And notice that he leaves out the factions of Peter and Jesus. It's not a big deal. We don't know why, most likely because Paul and Apollos have been their two direct leaders in the church. Regardless, the point is still made. You are causing, you are jealous and you're causing strife because of these factions. And division can only occur where there is selfishness. I want you to understand that. But, but, but I was at a church and I was right and no, division can only occur where there is selfishness. On a side note, as they are listening to this letter read, the Corinthians are probably anticipating Paul giving an example or a proof of their spiritual infancy. They know this well enough. You would know this in reading this letter or this story and say, oh, here it comes. He's going to nail us with the proof. But I would venture to guess 
that they were very surprised at the example he uses. It's like me calling you a a spiritual big baby because you're raving about your favorite pastor or that you're really enjoying Bible study. In their minds, that's what they were doing. But what Paul does so well is address the bigger picture, namely the underlying sin. So, if you were to take everything I've just said in the last 45-50 minutes and just summarize it in a nutshell, selfishness means spiritual immaturity. And not just, well, then I better pick myself up by my bootstraps and, and study the Word of God more. Nope. If that's what you're thinking, you've missed the whole point. You want to be self, you want to be spiritually mature. You want to understand the scriptures better. You want to have a daddy son strengthened, uh, a deep relationship with the Lord. Get rid of your selfishness. We've seen three indications of spiritual infancy. The picture, the new believer who can't handle advanced doctrines. The problem, not a new believer but lives according to the flesh and still can't handle advanced doctrines, the proof of spiritual infancy, selfishness manifested in jealousy and strife. Let me pull it all together. The reason selfishness, and it doesn't have to be manifested in jealousy and strife, whatever form it takes, right? The lack of service, and sacrifice, the lack of service and sacrifice unless it is convenient for you. Pride, love of money, ego, overemphasis on personal comfort, laziness, only doing what you want, only doing what other people want when you want to, serving only when there's something in it for you, getting married because you want, you want, becoming friends because you want, you want, having kids because you want, you want. All of this is selfishness. Whatever form it takes, The reason these things keep you from being able to handle advanced doctrines and move on from spiritual infancy, pay attention, this is important, is because advanced doctrines revolve around love and self-sacrifice. This is not about going to seminary and getting a degree. You will not find that anywhere in Scripture. God never says, just study more. He says, love and self-sacrifice. Before any theology is even to be considered, let alone studied, God says to love Him and to love others. The foremost, the greatest commandment is not get a seminary degree. It's not read the Bible. It's not study scripture. It's love God and secondly, love others. That's why you study the Bible. So you can learn how to love God and love others. And if you can't get past loving yourself, then you can't love God and you can't love others the way you're supposed to and the the way you can because you have the Holy Spirit. If you can't love God and, and others the way you're supposed to, then there's no way you can understand anything in the Christian life past the basics of the gospel. 
Oh, you may be able to talk about them. You may be able to dialogue about them. You might be even be able to teach them to get in front of a university lecture hall and debate the greatest atheist of our age and win. That doesn't mean you're spiritually mature if you are still selfish and lacking love. We'll see this later in 1 Corinthians 13. Love, love, love. That's what it's about. He says, I don't care if I'm the greatest apostle. I don't care if I can heal everyone. I don't care if I can move mountains to make things more convenient for the church. I don't care if I could end COVID-19 right now. I don't care if I knew how to speak uh, to angels in their secret language. Without love, it is not just not so great. It is useless. It's trash. It's annoying. And this is what he's saying here. If you're not living in love, those doctrines no matter how much you study, have clearly not gone from your head to your heart and out through your actions and attitude, and you're just a big baby. I mean, remember, the Corinthians are using their allegiance to godly men, which shows that they're big babies. So it doesn't really matter how many shepherds conferences you go to, how many of R.C. Sprawl's books you've read, how many of, you know, big, big Christian conferences you've gone to or passages you've memorized. If you don't love, you're, you're, you're a spiritual baby. And, and sometimes, especially in our circles, and I understand the temptation, we even use that as an excuse well, I can't serve, I can't spend time with you because I need to study the Bible. And the irony there is it just shows how immature you are. I'm not saying don't read the Bible. I'm saying get the right things right. I think, I think you get it. I'm kind of beating a dead horse here. Okay. But again, if you're convicted by this passage, by this sermon, and you're saying, I need to memorize more. I, I need to study more. What you need to do is go online tonight and listen to this sermon again. Because that's not the point. The point, the difference between spiritual maturity and spiritual immaturity is how you love others. How selfless you are. Well, let's bow in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we are a proud and selfish people. I'm so thankful that in our particular church, our pride has not gotten to the point where we are self-destructing as the Corinthians were doing and having teams and factions. I pray, Father, that you would help us to understand what you want most is love. Love with a biblical understanding and a clear meditation upon and study of the scriptures, yes, but not just head knowledge. Guard us against being a people who are so selfish and so immature and on such the wrong path that we think that going to church and reading the Bible and being able to dialogue and debate in our small groups or men's and women's groups makes us mature. 
Lord, make us those who grow evermore, who are spiritually mature because we love you and we love other people. Weed out the selfishness in our lives, Lord. Guard us against being spiritual babies. If there are any spiritual infants in our church, I pray that you would help them to see where they need to repent so that they could excel still more and mature. And Father, I pray that you would do a great work here in the Bay Area and at Grace Church of the Bay Area, that you would bring many more good spiritual babies, new converts, Lord, who come to a saving knowledge of you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.